Welcome to the Life Group Northwest Indiana podcast, where our desire is to share biblical truths from God's Word that will help us become more devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We're glad you're here. We're going to jump into our studies. Uh, so this is uh, our third lesson. Um, the first one was an introduction, just kind of laying the groundwork uh, for our study and what it was going to look like. Um, and then the first week we talked about the first law of definition, um, and this week we're going to jump into usage. Um, but before we do that, I want to jump into, real quickly, uh, Cascade again, uh, what we're trying to accomplish, um, and we'll use the illustration of the board. So the first one, can someone tell me what the first the first step was here? Do you guys remember? Anybody write it down and can you guys, anybody have it? The first one. You're done with the principle? The first, the, using the board, the first principle for this. Yeah, does somebody know? David. Grasping the text in their town. Wow, look at David, grasping the text in their town. Do, the, do you have the question? Uh, no. <laughs> hey, that's good. Partial credit. Everyone's laughing, but they didn't have their hands raised, so that's good. Uh, anybody else know what the first question was? Okay. Well, again, so I know you guys. I hope you guys take notes because, again, this this is the kind of stuff that when you're studying, sometimes you can kind of get in a rut, and these kind of these kind of things just help you refocus. So the first question, did you find it? Chad, please. <clears throat> what did the text mean to the biblical audience? Yes, yeah, what the first question was. That's the first point. And then the point. <laughs> it's good. Good times. Uh, and so, uh, so what did the text mean to the biblical audience? Anybody have any thoughts on that? What have we talked about that? Anybody? It's been a long week, I guess. Yeah, I think so. There's snow and all. <laughs> Right, so thank you. Uh, so what the text means to the biblical audience? Now, usually when we read, uh, we have the habit of going right to... Your phone's right here, honey. Oh. Yep, yep, remember that? Yep. Uh, that'll be on the recording. Uh, so normally we go right to significance. Right away. How can I apply this to my life? How do, where do I fit in right here? When actually the, the first thing we ought to do is go back and find out what this meant for the biblical audience. Number two. Who's got the next one? Anybody know the next point? Hey, just for the record, everybody. On the podcast, the notes are listed as well. Wow. Cheat code. Look at that. Wow. Look at that. Cheat Look code. That. <laughs> it's a hack. It's a hack. <laughs> I don't think that's the point. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to shut down. Uh, <laughs> number two, measuring the width of the river to cross. And so we have these things here, culture, language, time, situation, covenant. These are, these are things we need to be checking as we look here and try to get this moving along. So the question is, what are the differences between the biblical audiences and us? And so right away, you know, I was talking to the kids this morning, listening to sermons, and, and, uh, and uh, we were listening to Kurt Scully's sermon this morning on the way to church. And he was talking about offerings, and he's talking about, for, in, in, uh, when he's, in one of his letters, he's talking about uh, whether they should eat meat that was offered to idols. And so right away, for us, we need to find out what all that means first before we start going into, because eventually we're talking about grace, and we're talking about, about uh, freedom, liberty, and, and then from there, Christian liberty, do I or do I not, right? 
Yeah, something with, not as many people talk about covenantal theology, it sounds like an intimidating word. When anyone says this is the Old Testament, this is a New Testament, mm-hmm. the word testament means covenant. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. It's, it's that vow. God made a vow with Israel in the Old Testament, and that was basically if, if you, you know, obey all these commands, I'll bless you, you're going to be an example to the unbelievers. But the New Testament, the New Covenant, it technically didn't start until the crucifixion and resurrection, which is why at the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is my blood, which is the New Testament. And so it's, it's a little bit dicey, but some of the things in like Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 8, Matthew whatever, a lot of those were technically still Old Testament, which is why um, you see Jesus not really uh, saying, hey, you can eat any kind of meat you want because it was technically still Old Testament. Some people get confused about that. But covenantal theology, in my, in my apologetics class, I just covered about how a lot of skeptics and atheists will say, well, you know, this passage says uh, you have to eat this type of meat, but uh, how come you don't have to obey that, but you still have to obey the one about homosexuality, this and that? You're inconsistent and you're a hypocrite. And a lot of Christians don't have a good answer for that because they don't understand the concept of the different covenants. One was for Israel specifically, one was for us today. That's really good. I was listening to a sermon this morning, and Brother Scully, uh, it was a really, really good sermon. If you could listen to sermons, I recommend it. One thing he was talking about, here's the thing. If we go there, this is, this is a little rabbit trail, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it, and we're going to take a rabbit go trail, and we're going to enjoy it. Check out the view, okay? Look park, around. Park that Look well. around, yeah. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so <laughs> so here, here's the question. If we ever have to ask the question, what's wrong with X? What are we actually asking? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, and we inevitably, we want to be able to do that thing, right? Typically speaking, that's what we want. And usually when we do it, who is it for? Ourselves. Ourselves. And so that's where it gets into, that's where it's talking about when Paul was talking about you know, it's okay, the meat, it's okay to eat that meat, that sacrifice to idols. There's nothing, that's not to any god. Uh, it's not to our, the supreme god. It's to other other gods, other devils, uh, or what have you. But, but it's okay to eat that meat. However, people were getting tripped up by them going to, and literally stumbling. It's creating a stumbling block for their brother who they were going to the... To the to the wherever you call yeah, it the, the, pagan the temples, the, the, the and, temples that, yeah. and yeah and eating the meat and it was causing them to stumble, and so Christ, uh, the the grace would say you can eat it, but the the concern for others would say would say no you don't do that and so here instead of saying what's wrong with you may want to ask how does this affect somebody else now there's going to be a balance to that and and more or less what I told the children my children this morning is. Uh, Sometimes different people's uh, opinions may have, we may confuse opinion with with uh, with somebody actually when it talks about salvation because this that's what it was they're, they're they're having concerns with with well hold on a second I just left all that I just left all that and now 
Uh, so anyway, we, I think that's something we're studying, but I feel like that ties into what we're talking about today is how does the biblical, when we're trying to in, interpret the scriptures, how does, again, uh, the difference or what is the difference between us and the biblical audience? Yeah, and, and with that, there, there's a big difference between it being legally okay mm-hmm. and being wise. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of freedom in America. You have the freedom to tie your, your, your right shoelaces to your left shoelaces. You have the freedom to tie them together. But it's stupid, you know. <laughs> why would you do that? You know, we have a freedom of speech. It uh, gives us the right to say a lot of things. It doesn't mean you should say anything that hits your brain. You know, anything that comes to your mind. Mm-hmm. And so pa- Paul was trying to make the distinction: some things are not sinful. You know, Paul said all things are lawful, mm-hmm. right? But all things are not expedient. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there's, I think, a big difference that um, just because something's sinful doesn't mean it's wise. And it's also public and private. It's fine to do certain things in private because it doesn't cause anyone to stumble because nobody sees you. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to flaunt your liberty in pu- public. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter said, use not your liberty, your freedom, as a cloak of maliciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, to simply so uh, say whatever you want. Say, I have the freedom to say this, so I'm going to say it. Yeah, but, but you're idiotic, you know? So so anyways, there's a lot of uh, discretion with that. And in the end, when you, because you have this newfound freedom and you say those things, you're doing because you want to. Has no concern out of others. So, uh, and so that, that, that was really helpful for me this morning, especially working with my kids. And I feel like it's something that's practical because that is something that when you have that newfound freedom, you feel like, well, no, I, I don't have to. I can do that. I'm American. We have freedom. I can do whatever I want. America. It's free country. America. Yeah, there you go. And, and I, you know, I, I, I'm saved. I have grace. Okay, that's true. But we also should live with love of others. That's, that's the two greatest commandments. Love God and love others. And then, I'm sorry, I keep going back please, on it. Please. But, but even, um, you know, but Paul, Paul saw this coming. Paul saw that people would be like, oh, we can, we're saved no matter what. We can do whatever we want now. Oh, and so that's why Paul wrote um, Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. <laughs> so then he's like, look, if you keep, you know, sinning, yeah, you're still going to go to heaven, but you're becoming a slave to sin again. Why would you do that? You just got out of sin to mm-hmm. grace. It's unthinkable. And so Paul, Paul always tried to com- combat things that we still struggle with 2,000 years later. And it ties into what we're talking about because, again, depending on how you read and then interpret, you can then have that newfound grace. I can do whatever I want. Um, and 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 again, now we're getting into picking and choosing what we want to take from the scriptures again, which is one thing we talked about that we don't appreciate. Right? We talked about the fact that we don't appreciate when people do that to us. Right? When they try to manipulate scripture, maybe maybe are heavy on this one and thin on this one. Right, depending on where you're coming from. Yeah, pe- people love to emphasize their strengths. You know, um, it's 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 why people say the term "okay boomer" today. Uh, but it's because so many of them they are great at getting up at four thirty in the morning. You know, that's like the big thing. I don't know why it's like this trophy of yeah. significance. But it's funny that. <laughs> but if if they're great at getting up super early in the morning, what do you think they're going to be preaching about a lot? You need to be getting up early. You know, time is but a vapor. Uh, okay, but but that's that's not the only thing. You know, and so but people love to emphasize that which they are good at, and not mention the things that that they're bad at. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so uh, again, the the gospels actually say the other thing. They say the other side. They focus on a lot of the, the disciples. There's a lot of negatives, and and very few strengths that you could find in the disciples throughout Jesus' ministry. Uh, so moving along, number three was crossing the principalizing bridge, and uh, and again there it's what is the meaning in this text? So you've done all done two steps so far before we even got to meaning, 
And now we're asking the question, what does this text mean? Uh, what, what's happening here? And then lastly, number four, grasping the text in our town. Finally, we can get to where this, what does this mean for me? And, and how we should apply the meaning to our town. To, and again, that town, I love the word town because it's not to me. It's to everything that I'm doing, my community, and how this inter- I interact with other people. And so uh, real quickly, um, uh, interpretation, what we're trying to do is throughout this study is to grasp the meaning of the text God has intended. This is taken straight from this book here, Grasping God's Word. Uh, what we're trying to do is to grasp the meaning of the text God has intended. We do not create meaning out of the text. Rather, we seek to find the meaning that is already there. Uh, and again, that's from this book. And then our group goal. Here's our goal is to bring us all into a unified mission of interpreting the scriptures with humility and honesty. That's what we're trying to do in here as we go about the study. Are you guys cool with that mission? Anybody want to counter that? Anybody want to combat? No? We good? I object, Your Honor. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. Let's do this. Uh, uh, so just recapping, law number one uh, was definitions. Word, words mean something. Do you want to get into any of that at all, recapping that? I, I think we're good. Okay. Yeah, so, and he even mentioned it. You know, words, were, they were written, the scriptures were written thousands of years ago in different languages, and we're reading translations today. And, uh, and so uh, how we define affects interpretation, and it's really important for us to get there. So today we're going to jump in, and it's good because of time. We're going to jump into usage. Uh, usage. So that's the sec- uh, second law is usage. Now I'm going to read it straight from the internet. Okay. The best source to go. That's right, man. You can count on this. Uh, and so the, the, the eight laws we selected for this study came from a web page. Uh, so it's legit. Um, and so law number two is usage. Here we go. It must be remembered that the Old Testament was written originally by, to, and for Jews. Again, we're originally. It's important. Uh, the words and idioms must have been intelligible to them just as the words of Christ when talking to them must have been. The majority of the New Testament, likewise, was written in a milieu of Greek, uh, Greco, excuse me, Greco-Roman and, to a lesser extent, Jewish culture, and it is important not to impose our modern usage into our interpretation. It is not uh, worth much to interpret a great many phrases and histories if one's interpretations are shaded by preconceived notions and cultural biases, thereby rendering an inaccurate and ineffectual lesson. And so, uh, and so right away, some of those key words we're talking about usages is when we try to, to force a, you know, American 2022 white northern uh, city perspective onto the scriptures. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so right away, forcing it to do that. And so, so Stephen, what are some ways that we break this law? You know, what are some things that we do to... To, to to break the law of usage. Oh yeah, the 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 Bible is uh, filled with colloquialisms, with idioms, and we say similar ones today. It's raining cats and dogs. Um, you could word for word translate that phrase, and you could translate it into Spanish, German, whatever, and you would say cats and dogs are falling from the sky, and they would say. What? (laughs) What are you talking about? So the first slide is important. You need to know the words. But this takes it a step further and says, even if you understand the words individually, Mm -hmm. when you add them together, it still doesn't always make sense. And you have tons of examples of it in Scripture. Um, One that I typically use is, uh, in our language, the word butterfly. 
if you were to word for word translate that, a fly made out of butter or <laughs> a fly that likes butter, uh, any way you translate it, it, it doesn't get the whole meaning. And so sometimes you have to look at group of words uh, and see what they mean. Uh, uh, one example that I like is um, when Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, a lot of people just say, oh, it's, it's like a lighthouse. And they, they think of this big lighthouse type of analogy. He wasn't talking about a lighthouse. Um, in fact, I don't think they had lighthouses specifically. They had something kind of similar, but not, not quite. But the whole concept was uh, in your house at nighttime, uh, you were supposed to have at least one candle, one lamp burning to show. And this, is, this, this gets into the culture really uh, uh, in depth. But the culture was if, if you couldn't afford to light a lamp at nighttime, then you were considered dirt poor and God probably hates you. Okay, that's, that's literally what they thought. This is why they, they thought Job was cursed because, oh, you're poor. God must hate you. And uh, so wealth was everything. You know, God ba basically curses you if you don't have money. So if someone forgot to light the lamp at nighttime uh, in their house, they were considered cursed. Everyone would be like, who's the father of this house? Whoever the father is, you know, God must hate them. And so it was, it was a big deal to them back then was you always have to light the lamp. This is why uh, in the, the early part of 1 Samuel, <clears throat> the priest, Hophni and Phinehas, and um, you have uh, uh, Eli, they forgot about the lamp of God. The Bible says, ere the lamp in the temple or the house of God went out. They didn't care about it anymore. And that was, that was the big quote back then was... This is when God cursed them, was when they forgot to light the lamp. And so when Jesus said this, let your light so shine before men, that they may glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And Jesus was trying to say, when your light shines, your Father gets glorified. Just like the sun in the house. It's not about the sun lighting the lamp. Everyone's going to say, who's the Father of this house? Because they're the ones that are cursed if you don't light the lamp. So Jesus was saying, when you do a good job on something... Make sure your heavenly Father gets the glory because it's His house that you that you live in. So a lot of stuff, but you know, very different from you know the lighthouse and that type of analogy that we would think of today. Contextually, that makes sense too because it's written right at the Beatitudes uh, when the Beatitudes were given, and these were these people at at the sermon on the mount. Uh, typically, they weren't the rich people; they weren't the people with influence. They were people who needed Jesus. They need, he was their Messiah. They needed someone to save them. Uh, and so when he's telling them, hey, you are blessed because, uh, it made a lot of sense now for them uh, when, when talking about why this is good for you and why you should endure it, because now you are giving glory to the Father. So it, it really that's really helpful. Uh, yeah, and I, I would encourage you to get into books that talk about the Jewish culture back then. Mm -hmm. um, if you want, we could, I don't know, post a list. Um, I, I teach a whole class specifically on the Jewish culture. and just. But w when you understand like a custom like that, you'll see it all throughout Scripture. Mm -hmm. Like um, I quoted for Samuel, there's Matthew, but there's also other passages. Like when Jesus gave parables about if you don't go to the feast, you're cast out into outer darkness. Well, outer darkness was the poor, the cursed, because they didn't have light. And so light wasn't just a see, it was also, it was a sign that God blesses you. 
But you, you'll see it if you study one custom. I guarantee it. It'll it'll you'll see six or eight passages come to light. No mm-hmm. pun intended. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, even like dinners. I mean, we we talked about the idea of uh, Jesus when he came to a feast and uh, the Pharisees were throwing and talking about the highest seats. Um, when and actually we 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 found out that at these parties it was more or less a way for these guys to scratch each other's backs, give each other influence and and glory. Um, and so you know that's why Jesus said, "Hey, don't don't care about where you sit, and and definitely don't be concerned with who's at your party. Invite everybody." Um, and so again, the the dinner, how they sat, how they reclined, and different things, it does it absolutely gives you insight into. Uh, into why well, it made sense why a woman would come into a meal now uh, who didn't belong there because women weren't in, in parties and, and uh, like that they didn't come in and certainly not one of the street um, and then she comes up and she's touching a teacher a man of God he should know better uh, these are all things that just from a meal perspective you get to understand more about culture and what all that means oh yeah and and typically women's hair was always covered mm-hmm. i mean it would it'd be like a like a, a sash a mm-hmm. piece of material their hair would always be covered and it was considered uh, it was it was almost like nakedness for us today mm-hmm. like your hair isn't covered and uh, that that's part of you know some people kind of misconstrue the 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 part where the bible says that that that, that women's head needs to be covered and they're like oh it's talking about hair well you know, Paul kind of makes two different analogies to it, but part of it was that was the custom. So when, um, when the, that, so when the woman was drying Jesus' uh, feet with her hair, that was also like, how dare you have your head uncovered? And Jesus is like, I don't care. You know, hair is not nakedness. And you know, Jesus kept trying to shake them out of their yeah. tradition, but that was another part to it. Was mm-hmm. how dare this woman yep. show off her hair? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like that's that's not nakedness. You know. So, anyways, it's a lot of a lot of customs there. No, it's really helpful for that. And we've gone through that. I'm telling you, uh, just in the Gospels alone, it's really opened up. Um, understanding and you go into weddings and you can go into all these different things that we, you talk about with the parables and farming and all these things that really helps you understand uh, what's happening as we again go along through this illustration of what's going on in their town um, and especially with usage because in the end what we do is we we, we think about work we may think about farming today uh, and uh, so we may try to and again my, my so my family is a farming family the Stoatmeisters my dad grew up on a farm uh, and so, I mean, I would go to him for farming questions. Like, hey, what about this and that? And there's still differences between the cultures and, and even what they're growing and all these different things. But I want to try to use, and it's typical for someone like me when you're teaching to use a farming illustration from like our family. Because, hey, we're farmers. And so we know uh, when it, it, it may not have a clear application, uh, but I'm going to teach that way. And so it's me using, again, my culture of farming and now applying it without understanding what's happening then and all the moving parts there. And so that's one of the key things in, as far as usage is not an, in, uh, incorporating my own experience. And that's what it is. It's my, it ties into what we mentioned last week. Uh, John MacArthur's statement is uh, read the Bible as if you never existed because if you never existed, it doesn't matter what you think. Um, because at that point, you don't care anymore about using your own experience and what does this mean to me? It's, well, hold on, no, no, no. What did it, what was intended to mean at the very beginning? And eventually it'll get to me and my world today. You know, you, you said, um, you mentioned before about eating uh, together and all that. 
um, it just remind, reminded me of another uh, custom that they had, and that was um, it, it, in our culture, it's like, oh, we get to eat together, great. But that's kind of all there is in the American culture is, mm-hmm. you know, we got to eat and, you know, if someone asked you how it went, you typically talk about the food that they had. Mm-hmm. Oh, they had this food, that food. But in the Jewish culture, mm-hmm. it was when you ate with someone, there was so much symbolism. Mm-hmm. When you broke bread, yeah. uh, it, it, was, it was basically a covenant in itself. Uh, if you broke bread with somebody, if you ate with another person, uh, uh, basically, your your blood brothers. You know, um, you should never betray each other. You should never backstab them. It it was this huge covenant, and sometimes people would hesitate to eat with another person for ten, twenty, thirty minutes because they would think, "Am I am I ready to enter into this covenant?" Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I gave the example before, but there was this um, this Jew who accidentally. Uh, this was like ten years ago. Jew accidentally ran over this this boy. Uh, and I think it was Jerusalem. Coming to find out the boy was deaf, so he didn't hear the car coming. And the boy's father was a Muslim, which was a very, very bad situation. Mm. So the, the Jew felt so bad, though. He, he, so he went to the man's house, said, I, I want to make this right. Anything I can do. I didn't see him coming. And so they sat down to eat. And the Muslim, he waited about a half hour. Like, you know, the, the food was there. The food was basically cold. And after about a half hour... He started eating, and right after they finished eating, the Muslim said, I have lost a son the other day, and I have gained a son today. Mm. And so, but that, that, there's so much significance there with when you eat, you, uh, you, you, know, you become kin, uh, kin, kinship, mm-hmm. which is why Jesus, when Judas betrayed Jesus, right after they broke bread together, Jesus said, friend, betrays thou the son of man with a kiss, because it was so uncommon. How could you? We just ate together. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you understand that, you see it all throughout Scripture. Peter denied Jesus. Peter felt like there's no way I can come back to Jesus. And then Jesus said, come and dine. You know, eat with me. I've ha- I have fish. I have bread. Let's eat. Um, the, the symbol of peace in heaven. We're going to have peace in heaven because Jesus says, Come and dine, right? It is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, you, you have all the way back in, in Genesis when you have um, uh, Jacob and Laban, his father-in-law. They were, they were at odds, and so Jacob says, you know what, forget this. I'm taking my wives, and I'm, I'm leaving. So Laban catches up and surrounds them, basically says, you're not leaving. And it was very tense until they ate together. And immediately it was like, all right, we're, we're good. You know, everything's good now. And but but you know when you understand again that that one concept about eating meant peace you know uh, uh, you have Psalm twenty three thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies what he was saying was because we're eating together you're going to protect me from mine enemies like you know uh, uh, because we have that camaraderie uh, I am your protector uh, I guess um, I'll just give yeah I'll just give one other example I know I'm kind of uh, rambling. But um, you see in Genesis when Lot, Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he invited these two angels into his house, and they, 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 they had the appearance of men, but he invited them in, and they ate together. Then, you know, you had this huge group of people saying, bring them out that we may know them, you know, really sick people. But Lot said, I, I, can't, I can't let them have any harm to them because we ate together. Mm-hmm. And then he said, you can have my daughters but you can't have them because we ate together. And from an, to an American, you'd be like, 
what? Yeah. You, giving your daughters over them? But in that culture, that's how it was. I'm not like, excusing it. That's horrible. Mm -hmm. But you can kind of understand where he was coming from because we ate together. I can't betray them because you know, we ate together. So you'll see that kind of analogy all throughout Scripture, and it makes a lot more sense. That's really good, and that's why the, the uh, uh, Gentile uh, believers were so offended when Peter was eating with them, but then when he saw his Jewish brothers coming, he left them. And they were so offended by that uh, because he was acting as if he didn't want to have association with his Gentile, the, the Gentile believers. And, uh, and, you know, I believe it was Paul who kind of chastised him for that. He's saying, hey, you know, they're your brothers and uh, you should eat with them too. And so you can kind of see why in that situation a Gentile believer would be so offended uh, because of that. Um, and, and, so, and Jesus often ate with publicans, yep. with sinners, with harlots, and they're like, why is he eating? But th that was the whole emphasis. Why mm -hmm. is he eating with them? Mm -hmm. Because if you eat with them, you are friends with them. You are partners with them. And again, when we breeze by, skim by a passage, uh, something like that, we miss an entire... And what it ends up doing is it can actually enlighten you on not only that passage, but like you said, the whole scripture. But if we just kind of skim past it, we think, oh, I, I know what that means. <laughs> That's when we get in trouble and we miss the intention of the passage. Um, I have a real quick one that I think is really interesting uh, that I, I don't have time to go into details, um, I'll, but I'll try to go through it quickly. Um, when you ask the question, who is God? Uh, who is God? Uh, you, Depending on where you're at, you can get the same answer. If we ask that question here, who's God? Tell me. Creator. Okay. Father. Yeah. What's that? Father. Father. Okay, yes. Now, if I go and ask this question at a local university, I'm going to get many answers. Okay? If I go to a mosque, I'm going to probably get one answer, but a different one than what we have. And so the word God itself, and, and from, an, from an enlightened Western perspective... God is, God is, God is, they're all the same. You know, what this, what maybe the Muslims or, uh, or what, what I would believe, uh, to what Christians would believe or, or Hindu, they're, it's all the same God. And so there's some confusion there from a Western perspective, from a today's culture, who God is. And so even if, so if you're reading the scriptures and you, you think that way, when you read again, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We would read that, and who is God? The Creator, yeah. And so what's interesting, though, is if you would look up that word, the Hebrew word, it's, it's Elohim. Elohim. Now, what is Elohim? God, okay. Is that it? You guys, some of you guys have, stu have maybe studied this topic before, but if you read that, if you look into it, Elohim, it's, it's, a, it's a noun, it's, it's plural, but it's used even throughout the, the Old Testament. Rulers, judges, divine ones, angels, gods. And, uh, and so I was going to have someone read the Strong's definition, but it's, it's, it's more or less a spiritual being. So in Genesis 1, God, big G, God, is Elohim, which if you're a reader, especially in Hebrew, there's no identification. It is a... It is a um, a class it is a class of people. It's a title, is how Tim Mackey would put it. It's a title. Um, and what's interesting is, uh, if you read in 1 Samuel 20, 28, when Samuel, uh, when Saul wants to call Samuel 
from goes to, he goes to the witch. He wants her to bring Samuel. She says, I, I'm seeing gods. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm seeing gods. That's Elohim. And, and she sees Samuel. And so is Samuel God? Well, which, well, <laughs> he's a spiritual being at that point, right? It's, yeah. So you would Spirit say, some sort, yeah. so that's where our conception of what God is can be off. However, if you go to Genesis chapter 2, we find that a 13, so 31, time, 31 times in chapter 1, God, Elohim, is used. In Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, God is used, but there's also another word that's used. That, that helps us now find out, well, which, which spiritual being created everything? Well, we find it's the Lord God. And so God, Elohim, is a class, kind of like a title, where the Lord, that's his name. Now we get an idea of who exactly this creator God is. And so right then, they kind of tell you, hey, there's a, there's a spiritual being. And Paul would later write, there are other spiritual beings. There are other. In fact, we many people believe in Genesis 6 that the sons of God were like angels who came and, and had, had children with the, men, uh, uh, with the people of the world, uh, the stars of the world. Um, so anyway, I'm saying all that to, to let you know that even uh, the idea of God, we can incorporate our present day understanding um, and just say, oh, God's that. Actually... We, it may not be. We may make sure we understand uh, what all that means, um, and, it, and it can and it can affect how we read the scriptures, even the word God. Yeah, because you know, if, uh, going back to that passage, um, I mean, if you didn't understand it, you would think, oh, so Samuel is a god, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that can really throw off uh, your doctrine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have the passage where um, going back with it, you have I think it was. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Nebuchadnezzar saw uh, mm -hmm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, mm -hmm. and he said, and then I see the fourth one as the son of God. Mm -hmm. Other translations say say son of the gods. Mm -hmm. And so people are like, well, so no, it's, it's obviously God, but I, you know, and so people debate it. Well, it's it's a it's another broad term where uh, probably from his perspective, he was saying it's it's some deity of mm -hmm. some sort. But again, Hebrew is often very vague, mm -hmm. and that's why you know you can have several different meanings, like cherubs and seraphims. Those would all be considered a type of gods. It just meant a celestial being, anything that supernatural. <laughs> and in, that, in this case, what we can find out, though, is that is that the biblical writers did not leave us on an island. In Genesis 1, they didn't say, oh, well, it's Elohim, you figure it out. Chapter 2, they go through the whole creation uh, plan again, and they say, oh, by the way, it's the Lord God. Was it just in, in case uh, you were wondering. Adonai, I think. Was it Adonai? Uh, I think that was Jehovah. Uh, in, in Genesis, Lord, the Lord, you're you right. mean? Yeah, it, it's it's uh, Jehovah. Oh, okay, so it'd be yeah, Yahweh. Yahweh, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Gotcha. Yep, so it's Yahweh, right, and that's, that's good. Anyway, it's an idea that when we incorporate what we think today, and everyone does it, when we incorporate, again, uh, usage and, and w in our world today. So uh, that's all we have. So that's the second law. It's not, it's not, um, certainly not exhaustive, but what we can find, that's the main point, is how often do I put... Not only my own definition, when I define a word, but also when I get, this is basically interpretation now. I'm interpreting now a passage based upon that word um, be, out of what I know, my experience. Um, so we'll jump into the third law next week, but does anybody have uh, questions or thoughts, takeaways? What, what did you say with usage, like a uh, The whole big one? Um, I can post it. I, I, I'll, I'll read it real quickly. It's uh, it, from what they have, 
but the, the um, from from the website, which is which is uh, uh, again solid. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> it's rock solid. Uh, it must be remembered that the Old Testament was written originally by two and four Jews. This is a lot to write down, um, so I'll, I'll share this. But the words and idioms must have been intelligible to them, just as the words of Christ when talking to them must have been. The majority of the New Testament, likewise, was written in a milieu of uh, Greco-Roman and to lesser extent Jewish culture. And it is important not to impose our modern usage into our interpretation. It is not worth much to interpret a great many phrases and histories if one's interpretations are shaded by preconceived notions and cultural biases, which we really didn't get into that as far as like uh, 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 confirmation bias and all that kind of stuff. That's a little bit different. Now we're getting into uh, I, do, I refuse to believe. This is just because I live in 2022, I have this perspective now. And that's kind of where this usage comes in. Yeah, so if you, if you want to abbreviate it, you could say, basically, don't just define a word, but look at groups of words mm -hmm. and try to understand if there's colloquialisms, idioms that's being used here. Mm -hmm. Like, we're going to address the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. You could translate it, but yeah. you need more than just translation. You need understanding of that phrase. And we, we mentioned <laughs> last week where the idea in a football game, a, a commentator used, well, he, he ripped his head off. Yeah, <laughs> and again, if someone were to read that, they would think is this like a gladiator game? That's a violent uh, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah. we're it's, no, it's a football game <laughs> on TV, and uh, and kids are watching. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, other thoughts today? I don't know if this isn't new, and what you're going to find, it's not new. You've heard a lot of this stuff before, but it's more or less putting it into practice as you as you uh, study. Somebody thoughts? Yeah, it definitely shows how um, like far away from the actual usage we are as far as like mm. the connections to idioms and all that. Like when you made that example with um, let your light so shine. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, like we've, we've heard that example countless times. Yeah. Who knows how many other ones there are in there that you know we didn't yeah. study enough to know what they actually meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, we 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 might as well be on another planet in some ways. Yeah. Because how far removed we are culturally and time. Yeah. And understanding this, it's all a journey. Um, I, I used to get intimidated. I, I got to learn all this stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But it's it's. I would encourage you if you can find one good book. Again, we could post. I have a list of them. But if you could just you know find just one custom and just try to understand it all throughout Scripture, you know, just piece by piece. And then the, the more you study it, the, the more understanding you have. It gives you a three-dimensional look. Mm -hmm. But again, it's all a journey. Uh, I'm still finding things that I was like, man, I've been around my whole life on this. And it's usually not like doctrine. It's not like, oh, so we do have to work our way to heaven. You know? <laughs> it's nothing like that. Uh, I haven't found one like that so far. Um, but it's, it, it does give a lot more application after you understand it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. We pray the Holy Ghost showed you how Christ is supreme. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you been born again by God's grace through faith alone? If you have questions concerning eternal life through Jesus Christ, please visit lifegroupnwi.com or email us at connect at lifegroupnwi.com.